0: Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the digital marketing podcast for tech marketers who are sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis So Before I start, I've published a guide uh, to help you stand out. It's nine bullshit-free lessons from world-class tech marketers, including Rand Fishkin, from Moz, David Darmanin, from Hotjar, Seth Godin, Uh, and you can grab it on EveryoneHatesMarketers.com for free. Um, so in this episode, you're going to learn why education and not hardcore sales is the best way to do content marketing, especially if you're in SaaS in software as a service. So my guest today is Shayla Price. She's a consultant for SaaS businesses in content and email marketing. She works with SaaS businesses in particular, including Leadpages, AgroApples, HostGator.com, Kissmetrics, Shopify Plus, Marketing Prof. Simple Tiger, Session Cam, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. She has published many articles on conversion Excel, on drip.co, on lead pages, keys metrics, and also involved in a lot of inspiring women to be involved in their community. So she really helps minorities to stand out in her daily work as well. So Sheila believes that too many companies don't really educate customers and instead they just use it as an excuse to sell. So she believes that truly educating people, especially in SaaS, is the way to go, and it's the way to to really uh, bring your business to the next level. So in this episode, you're gonna go. We're gonna go through a step-by-step uh, process as usual. So you're gonna learn how to really learn from customers, uh, and where is the place, the best place to do customer research? How to create the right type of campaigns to educate people, and uh, how to to check the results. So as usual, have a listen and let me know what you think.
1: uh thank you so
0: much for being on the show. Uh, I've read a lot about you. I think you have a very interesting story that I will ask uh, you about in the next few minutes. But I want to dig in straight away into a marketing question that I usually ask people. So what if you have to choose one single marketing tactic that was effective time and time again in your industry, so mostly SaaS, what would it be?
2: Uh, I think one of the Best marketing tactics is really to focus on distribution. Uh, do the write the content. Uh, do what's necessary to get the get um, your audience interested, but also focus on how and who is going to see it. Stop writing content and <laughs> for, for yourself. Write content for your uh, for your audience, and, and that starts with having a wide distribution net so people can know that
0: you exist. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of people would do. They will spend a lot of time and resources in creating the best content possible. And then when it comes to promoting it, they actually don't do much of it, right?
2: Right. They leave it to chance. And sometimes we also focus on just uh, what we know, the channels that we go best to. So that may be your email marketing or that maybe that go to uh, Facebook or Twitter uh, channel you go to. but. There's other opportunities and, and you focus where the customer is at. That's where you need to be and that's where your content needs to be rolling and getting the attention uh, of your audience.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so to explain to the listeners who you are and what you do, so you're a consultant for SaaS businesses in particular and you specialize in content and email marketing. Um, your CV is quite nice I would say you work with like SaaS businesses like Leadpages, AgraPulse, HostGator, Kissmetrics, Shopify. You wrote many articles for like Conversion Excel, Drip, Leadpages as well. I mean, you've really done a lot uh in in the field and you specialize quite well in, in one particular industry, which is nice. Um And there's something else that I've noticed looking at your LinkedIn profile and digging a little bit more in, in, into you is that. You're really involved in in helping other women to be inspired and to to be involved in a community, to help their career, um, and you are also helping victims of domestic violence before, which is a very very uh, nice uh, thing to do. So, can you explain a bit more before all of that, before before being a consultant for SaaS businesses, where do you come from, and why are you so driven in your day to day?
2: So, well, I come from really the nonprofit and the legal world, so I'm a barred attorney, um, actually in two states <laughs> here, and I started off as a counsel, um, helping women with uh, domestic violence issues, and also just learning what I needed to do, because I never really... Wanted to be a, a a practicing attorney that much. Uh, my feel my reason for going to law school was really to get those critical thinking and analytical skills so that I can be a well rounded individual in the nonprofit industry. So I was big on, still am big on community service, volunteering, uh, and helping people. And that was one of the skills that I really saw that was. Um, this this was necessary to work the lanes of nonprofits. So did that, but it kept going back to marketing. Um, if, if people would always want information about how to get their brand uh, out there, uh, information about oh, where do I go to do X, Y, and Z if I have a customer? So it was just natural to go into business um, and figure out how I can help companies. And it all started with a post on uh, KISSmetrics. I saw uh, that they needed a writer and I was like, what is this? I didn't even know what SaaS or tech was <laughs> and I just decided to say, hey, if I'm good enough to uh, you know, get <laughs> to get barred to become an attorney, I think I'm good enough to write about th- this industry as well.
1: So when was that?
2: Um, sort of three or so years ago i think wow Okay. So, yeah
0: <laughs> so you learned your craft in three years uh obviously you don't know everything like nobody does but you've learned quite a lot in the in the last three years but i'm curious why did you get into non-profit in the first place before all of that what was the the drive behind it
2: um I was started as a kid my parents instilled in me a, a lot about just giving back i volunteered when i was younger like like the homeless shelter and that, um, um, just food banks. So that was always just part of me. And I thought, why not? <laughs> uh, this industry, it, it, it was something that, you know, it was dear and near to my heart. And I thought that's what my path was going to be. So um, and I would do it and would do it in high school and college. I would always be volunteering. So I was like, maybe I should be the volunteer manager on the other side. Maybe I should Move up the ranks and that, but it didn't work out like that. <laughs> but I, I continued to volunteer in my spare time, uh, uh, but just doing it on my own terms.
0: Okay. And so uh, that's very really nice of you to do that. And I think more people should, should do it, obviously. Uh, but going back to, to this Kismetric article that you saw, I mean, not article, but the, the kind of the posting saying that they are looking for writers. So that was three years ago. Um, can you, Take me through the steps after you saw it. Like, what did you do? How did you manage to actually submit something?
2: Well, I actually, I think I might have seen HubSpot certification, things of that nature. I, you got to think, I, before even this, I was on Upwork. So... I was writing a few articles on there. Didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> a lot of this is not knowing what I'm doing. If, if you know my personality, it's all about trying. Um, I will pick up any news, any free newspaper at a store, any just to look at it to see if there's an opportunity in it that fits me. So I was doing that with the internet, and I just would go to certain random websites and pages and things of that nature, and then I started. Typing in, uh, writing, just tech and business, and I landed on I think it was Pro Blogger uh, at the time, and I saw uh, you know these lists of writing positions, and I think I saw the Kissmetrics one, and I was like, hmm, this I think I can do. This, this is <laughs> this seems reasonable, um, and and I think that's what also the law prepared me for, I don't, I'm not afraid to do things. i after going through three years of law school and taking the bar twice, you kind of like nothing's, nothing's too hard for me. I know how to study for two months just to pass the test and just focus on that. So I just decided to uh, just apply and see what happened. And I was applying to other ones as well, but that's the one that stuck.
0: (laughs) So everything, everything seemed really simple from your point of view after law school, right? You had this like huge, uh, opportunity and you're like, I can do it. And, and you did it. So you applied to it, right? So uh, how did you, did you get accepted? Yeah.
2: Yes. So yeah, that was one of my first, uh, gigs writing in SaaS tech.
0: Wow. Okay. So wh- from the time you saw this ad to the time you, apply to it how long was there like did you take a lot of a lot of time to to create a good cv or how did you do it
2: i actually used use one of the articles i had published on huff post at the time because that's why i was publishing using upwork so i just used one of those writing samples
0: okay and you <laughs> you, you apply to it they they took you on board and and then how did you manage to write the first pieces because exactly as you said you didn't know much about it so, what was your approach to try to learn as much as you could? Just read. <laughs> right. Just
2: like it might sound like easy, but it's to me, I'm a researcher, so you learn those skills. Like if you don't know, you got to find the answer. So I didn't know, so I just was going online, figuring out, just reading a lot because in my initial writing, I most of it was based on what I learned from. Uh, Secondary information, but as my I got into more of marketing I started um started coming from first hand experience and all of this just it happened rapidly because uh, once I got that gig, I got another writing some posts then I saw an internship position at one company and it was paying like less of uh what I thought was reasonable for writers but I said okay this is some this is a good spot for me to just get some additional information on how what I should be doing in the marketing in this this tech so I applied for that got the job and then after that a few months I had a contract with them for a few thousand dollars so I was starting off at 10 cent a word and then a couple months later I was making a few thousand dollars doing more than just writing
0: nice um (laughs) What type of resources did you did you research on like when the when you got accepted by Kissmetrics?
2: Um probably I think the standard ones like anything that was dealing with analytics so also like content marketing. I don't even remember the first post I wrote um, but I just would go to Google and search and then I would just go based off what I know I'm like oh this might be This looks like it's uh, has some authority. I should quote them, or uh, this you know this site looks like they know what they're talking about. And then also, I would go back in the post that was already written at Kissmetrics and seeing where they link to. So all I felt like all the work was already done. You just had to replicate it and make it your own.
0: So you're just curating different data (laughs) sources and yeah, adding your own personality to it, right? Yes. But that's a very good learning. And I think that's quite inspiring for, for listeners who don't necessarily uh know how to get into marketing. They might they might dream of getting into digital marketing or becoming a writer. But your your story shows that as long as you believe in in what you can do, as long as you know that you know you can do it, you've done stuff in the past, then it shouldn't be too difficult. You should just work quite hard in in researching on, on the craft and then and then go for it. And don't be afraid to, to to apply for stuff that you might think are too big for you or not for you, or you might feel underqualified, but you're the example that you know. If you try, you might get it.
2: Yeah, I and mean, I, that's I'm a firm believer in that. Is I don't you sometimes you don't you forget that how many things you applied for, and that that uh, I guess skill set came with me too because even prior to like college and high school, I, I wrote scholarship essays. So that I could get a hundred thousand dollars in scholarships, like to pay for college and to pay for law school. So I have no student loan debt. So I, I already had that again. Research and willingness to get rejected <laughs> and not care what even like what was happening, and even in that scholarship process, and even in the you know freelancing gigs, I move on to the next so quickly that I sometimes forget that I even applied for something because if i'm not getting a response and of course i'll follow up but if i don't get the response in you know that week or two it's like okay move on to the next and just you know let's go about our day
0: yeah well that's quite an inspiring way of, of thinking because a lot of people would be beaten down after the first application that they that they uh, submitted but you wouldn't really be the the type of person doing that you just got to move on and, uh, and try again right
2: Yes, just try again <laughs>
0: <laughs> right so that's that's really cool. That's a nice story, and I think that's quite inspiring for a lot of people uh listening um now, let's dig into a subject that I really much love to talk about, and I think you do as well um so if you had to pinpoint if you have to like uh, choose you know so called marketing best practices that are just plain wrong, what would they be?
2: Well, the one that irks me and is like you sometimes you have to do it cuz it's just the people you're working with but i find that most saas and tech companies we're trying to we're trying to sell too much in that content we say we're educating the the consumer but we still provide so many links and so our product does this too you're right <laughs> we'll we'll be talking about x y and z hey by the way we do this too and if we are going to approach the customer as a, uh, a intelligent individual, we say they know what they want to do, but we still try to manipulate them and say, "Hey, don't forget about this." They're on our website. They have the blog post. They have you probably have something to click to get to their email address. But we're still constantly, constantly selling them inside of this blog post two and three times. So it's it gets annoying.
0: That's an interesting point, and that's that's not something I've heard too many times before. And this is why, when we talk together before before uh, doing the show, I actually pinpoint like I've actually chosen to to drill into this particular problem in, in more detail. So, in the next few minutes, we'll actually try to go through how to actually and really educate people without trying to sell them too much. So, we'll try to go into a how-to methodology that people can apply in their day-to-day, particularly in the tech or SaaS world. But is there any other thing that really annoys you in today's marketing, before we dig into this one in more detail?
2: Other ones, um, email campaigns. (laughs) Um, I don't, if if it's a specific email course uh, that says it's five days, I'm okay with it being back to back to back, but you'll notice sometimes, depending on the company, they'll just keep sending emails every day to that customer. And it's like, uh, and I don't think they want it every day, even on weekends. They, I don't think they want to be so every day. There needs to be some type of way to, you know, span this out, whether that's a two day process, three days, then wait seven days. They, they're on the email list. Don't try to scare them so that they can unsubscribe. I think that's one of the other things that, we're not aware of that we ha we just have to send that email every day
0: so you you mean the five the five emails for the five day course, or do you mean also once the five day course is done, more emails come in
2: yeah, after the five day course after yeah. the lead after the leave magnet so, so i'm
0: fi- sorry so so yeah, so what's happening here is that people would we tend to um they would They would tease you with this five day course, and then in the blueprints in the, the small prints below below the box, they would say, "Oh you're also by by downloading this or by subscribing to this five day course you'll also get into uh, our newsletter and you'll receive emails every week or every day right
2: yeah, so uh of course you have to, you, you got the lead mag- magnet fine you have that sometimes it's a that five day email course that's fine, but there needs to be some. Some thought placed into timing how to connect with the, the potential uh, customer after that. And sometimes if you look at companies' unsubscribe rates, you'll notice that they it, it, it start getting higher and higher as you keep sending all these emails Every
0: day. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good one as well. Uh, I usually like, because I'm really into it, I usually like to read the small prints of all of those lead magnets and it's usually the same every time. It's, you don't know the stuff, but you also, you also are subscribed to their emails and, and you start receiving them on a regular basis. If you had to, to choose one marketing campaign that was the worst ever in your mind, like something that really shocked you, what would it be?
2: Oh the worst uh, <laughs> i guess more currently i uh the pepsi commercial
0: um oh yeah
2: the one that with one of the dinners I don't even know
0: <laughs> so their names. nice for the listeners who don't necessarily know about it too much or, or haven't haven't uh, heard about it, can you go through a little bit what what this Pepsi commercial was about
2: uh, okay, so the basically the Pepsi commercial co op the Black Lives Matter movement and tried to make it seem like a Pepsi can solve the, you know, the problems <laughs> between, I guess, the government and the people. It it just was a bad taste. That's all. Uh, and I think it was should have been thought out. And then I think another company actually had a, uh, I think it was Heineken. I might be wrong, but they did a good job uh, on the opposite end about how, how people can have conversations about their differences. Um, and that was a great campaign and people, it was like night and day and you can see in Twitter, people were just bashing Pepsi, but giving praise to the other brand. So you, you need to do a little bit more like focus, <laughs> focus research before you do campaigns like that.
0: Yeah. So I remember the Pepsi, the Pepsi commercial, uh, basically they're giving Pepsi to, to the police, right? Uh, doing doing a riot or some sort oh uh, yeah, doing a, a demonstration so it was yeah, yeah. Uh, and because they're giving pepsi then the, the the police are just happy uh, <laughs> yeah everybody's
2: happy uh, just hand out a, hand out pepsis everybody's happy
0: so that's really, <laughs> obviously it's ready stage obviously it's a it's a kind of a movie scene type of thing it's a, uh while when you compare to the heineken commercial, it was so they were taking two people of the opposite uh, spectrum in terms of their uh, thoughts on such specific subjects. So whether, uh, I remember they took one uh, transgender person and one person was clearly against transgender uh, and, and they just put them in the same room and let them speak first before telling them what their differences were, right? Right.
2: And that's, I think that's what, that's what what could be helpful in real life. So they just gave a scenario of what would be possible as a solution almost in real life. And I think Pepsi did just the opposite. They took what was happening in real life and inserted themselves.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I remember watching this, this Heineken thing and it, it, I watched it until the end, which is quite rare. Uh, it's actually quite a moving uh, TV commercial. But they are selling alcohol, and and I know it sounds cliché and and stupid, but in France actually they nobody is allowed to to advertise alcohol. So you can't, mm-hmm. yeah, you can't advertise alcohol on TV, on radio. The only way you can do it is something like in sport events, or not even sport events anymore. It's a law, a law from like the 1990s, and I I think that should be the case in, in any country really. Uh, but anyway, that's another subject. Um, so thinking of, of these bad marketing practices and, and our role as marketers, um, what do you think we can do, uh, together to make the web a better place and to, to make the internet a better place?
2: Listen, I think that, um, give the audience what they want. Um, of course, in, in moderation in terms. <laughs> but, um, we, we are so focused on, uh, the end goal sometimes that we forget that we are in business for the customer. Uh, Like we're building this marketing campaign. Oh, that would be nice. This would be great. Let's add this, let's add that. And then it falls flat because we forgot to think about what the customer will want or what stage of the buying process they're in. Um, How, how are they feeling right now in a certain climate or in a certain country or what's happening to them? Is this, Going to offend, or uh, is this is this going to resonate? Does this even matter? Uh, if we would listen to that and bring the customer inside of the marketing campaign we're doing, whether that's email, a Facebook ad, we would see better results. Uh, and focusing on them should be the focal point, and not as the cliche focus on them. I mean, actually bring them into the uh, uh, have that advocate. Have the even have a customer, maybe sometimes come to your office or have them remotely like speak about what they like and dislike about the customer because it makes it real.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you, and that's something I preach all the time is that we tend to forget that people are people behind the screens, and especially in digital marketing, we tend to forget that we tend to look at Google Analytics visits and forget that those are actually people going through the website, right?
2: Right, and these are these are not what we some, uh visitors leads. We uh, even label them as customers. Sometimes these are humans. <laughs> these are people. Uh, these are real life individuals who have a problem and need uh, possibly your solution. And uh, educating them without uh, trying to always sell them can be. It can be a liber. It can be really liberating, not only for the for the potential customer, but for your organization, because you're doing more than just selling.
0: Yeah, exactly. So we started to say a little bit, uh, talk a little bit about this uh, in the last few minutes, and you were saying that you, you you tend to see companies trying to sell multiple times in a blog post or like support conversation instead of truly educating people and truly helping them. To reach their goal because people are not stupid. They know what they want at the end of the day and all they need is you to help them in this, uh, in this path. So in the next few, in in the next few minutes, what I'd like to do together is trying to come up with a a sort of a how to or step by step kind of solution to how to really actually educate people, especially in, in the tech world, in SaaS. So. What would be the step one of that, like switching from thinking of, of selling multiple times in, in during your contents and instead truly educating them?
2: I think the first step is starting with the customers, bringing them in, listening to their needs, understanding them inside and out so that this is not just a buyer persona, this is not an avatar, this is a real-life human being who has not only... Uh, has a problem that you can solve, but also has additional problems that are going around your problem. So it's not just, oh I, you know, I'm having problem with my billing and I need your accounting software. There's more to, to billing than your accounting software. <laughs> There's other issues that come from that, that 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 person has problems with.
0: So how would you go about this? Let's say you're a SaaS business and you have a few employees, how would you go about getting those people in your office or, or talking to them
2: um starting with the uh customer success um also even even on a lower level just even not not bringing them in have marketing read customer support tickets um to actually see what what people are asking what they're coming for have social media come in and show you the, the actual tweets and facebook messages that people are leaving that not not just good but also maybe uh talking about your company in a bad light. Uh, But then going past the messaging just to talk to the actual customer and say, hey, we, you know, we want to provide you with better service. We would like to set up a call. And even uh, and we want to record this message, maybe just to to help our team and just ask the work, write down and work with your team to ask specific questions and then record that message so that you're like, oh, okay, we, Oh, she said this because not everybody, not everybody on your team is going to get it. That's why you have multiple people from different disciplines on your team, because if somebody says something, one thing, oh, that's marketing. Marketing might pick up on one thing. Customer success might pick up on something and sales might hear something totally different. And that's where y'all come together and say, OK, we're listening now. Um, we need to do this possibly in the next marketing campaign.
0: Okay, so the first step I would call it like empathy, right? It's really trying to to listen to people and 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 avoid using spreadsheets and really organizing proper meetups, like proper face to face conversations with stakeholders of the company, and and have a few people talking uh, talking at those and listening instead of trying to convince them of anything, right?
2: Oh yes, that happens on so many levels. Not even just the customer. Like the customer can say, oh, I don't like um, A, B, and C. And we're like, oh, but we offer a, we do offer A, B, and C. Well, the customer just said you don't offer A, B, and C. There's a disconnect. They don't know. You, you can you can come back with something in that moment because, yes, it's Facebook and uh, you, they need a the solution. But you need to really analyze that. They just told you you're missing something, but you have it. So (laughs) your team needs to go back to the drawing board with messaging possibly,
0: or just even telling them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like the perception that people have of your product is not the same than the product you're selling. Uh, Usually it's drastically different. So your role should really be trying to match the two, trying to match the perception they have with what you actually have. So that's step one, right? We try to get into the door and, and, and you talk to them. What would be step two? What would you do then?
2: Step two, which is sometimes also overlooked is, how are we going to build a marketing campaign based on the learning styles of our customer? Now they do this in school. Uh, There's something called uh, differentiated learning. We, you have the teacher. You know, we write some. Some of some students may take multiple choice. Others may write the answer. Write the answer. Others may need the uh, the question told to them so they can answer back verbally. But we don't do that in marketing. There's a lot of different students in this case with different learning styles so your customers are the same way so you're going to have to maybe write a blog post you might have to do audio you might have to do a video we have to do different different forms of media for our customers because they all, all learn differently
0: yeah that's a good point it must be it might be difficult for for small teams to to know where to focus on but i guess by talking to a customer, you kind of know the type of, the type of content they actually connect with. Um, but like for this marketing campaign in particular, maybe you can think back of, of campaigns that you've, uh, you've done with actual clients. But once you've talked to those customers of theirs, like how, what do you decide or like what content will this marketing campaign contain? How would you decide what to put in there and what to write? Um,
2: first, if it's, uh, dealing with not only the problem. Of Of the customer and you saw, but also different dealing with the overarching issue um so if the again with if somebody has a billing issue, what is really the problem with your billing is it of course we can provide accounting software, but what's all the other factors going around uh your billing where whether it is um how do I uh make invoices quickly or Um, How do I handle international invoicing? There's other underlying and overarching issues that the customer faces. And sometimes we just focus on that pain point that we can solve when we should be focusing on everything because we want to become their trusted resource, as we say. We want to become that advisor, but you can't become an advisor if you're only dealing with one pain point.
0: Um, And this right there, I suppose, is, is the principle of what you're preaching about educating really educating instead of selling is that by focusing on the pain points that are outside of the core thing that you solve you can simply educate them because you have not nothing to sell in this particular element the only thing that you're trying to trade is trust right that they trust you as as their as their uh as, as a leader in your field right
2: right and then i think sometimes we get caught up in um those red herrings where this is not really the pain point uh we can get confused because sometimes the customer doesn't know what they want and and that's you know that that's the whole different thing <laughs> like what can how how can you solve a problem that uh a, a a customer doesn't know they have yet so you have to do some more digging and to really see what's happening to them uh in their space that that really just is so horrible that they have to go reach out and get somebody else to uh, to help them or they have to pay somebody. Because that's why I think when I'm doing marketing campaigns, somebody has such a, a problem that they are willing to pay somebody for it. Because usually some people, some people are just do it, you know, I'll just do it myself or I'll go without. But somebody has such a pain point that they have to come to you to purchase it. So that's I, I think the mindset we also need to have. Like people are giving you the money; <laughs> they're taking this out of their budget. What what is that true pain point? And how can you help them with it?
0: So how would you manage to dig into these particular true pain points?
2: So again, starting talking with them, but also doing going beyond what they say, because people are people will never give you what what's really happening. And I've learned that as an attorney. Um, People come to the office, they tell you what's wrong and they forget everything else that's happening. Uh, So that's doing the research of figuring out, okay, I I need to look at you in your environment. Uh, And some, of course, for some companies, this is difficult, but to actually work with their team. So if you are B2B and you sell software to a company, Maybe you might need to do an on-site visit or maybe you need to talk to the person who actually uh, uh, uses uh, has the particular problem and all the other people who depend on that p- problem to be solved. Uh, and you need to look at, you need to see what's actually happening because they not the customer is not going to give you that all the time. They are so focused sometimes, oh, I just can't do this. Um, but you'll realize that, oh, it's not that they can't do it, it's just not It's just too hard to do it, and that's a whole other solution to saying that you can't do it
0: yeah I, I very much like this idea so so you can organize customer meetups uh, in your own office and talk to them to create a good relationship and, and, and but then I would say the next step could very well be trying to get invited into their office and and observe them like you're in a zoo almost, which is very bad to say but <laughs> no but it's almost that right it's almost like trying to be this 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 fly in this office that doesn't get really noticed where you can actually watch how people do stuff and perhaps you know tell asking them a few questions during the day and how they do certain things, but observing stuff without you being actively involved will probably lead to a lot of of interesting discovery right
2: yes, and even uh, uh doing something where you can watch their screen and you'll be like, oh tell me what you uh, sh- show me what you normally do, so you'll see you know you' of course the session replays for if for your own, but so but for another uh, customer, you can just say, you know let me see what you do to actually set up this software, or set up this invoice and you know, whatever problem is, so you can see how many clicks they're taking, what they actually their thought process because that's what you really want. People are not always going to uh convey their thought process on how they do it. They may even miss a step sometimes when they're trying to outline it for you on paper, but if you can actually see it and write it down, and be engulfed in their experience as it's happening. You'll be like, "Oh, we can do that with two clicks instead of five, or we can." Uh, you don't even have to use this particular software. We have this. Like that's when you know you know your customer so well that you you know you should know what steps they're going to take when they go into your software to get to get their problem solved.
0: So let's say from all of those observations, you you found out the type of. Uh... Of pain points you could uh, you could you could solve. How would you how do you go about you know selecting one out of all of the stuff you discovered?
2: Well, just extrapolating it towards how many. Uh, of course, you I wouldn't want to do this with just one customer. So this would take some time, and I would have to observe other customers as well, and just then see what's the common denominator of the, that problem, and then write start right. Writing that blog post or that particular co- uh, content, so that you know, oh, this is a problem. Let's start with this one, then go down the line, or even what would be easier? Because sometimes just because it's the biggest pain point for them doesn't make doesn't mean they uh, they will know it's their biggest pain point. Sometimes, so it's like you have to constantly balance out your customer. Um, they may think they're walking, you know, ten steps. Is a long time to do something, but you can do it in five. They might not see, like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll just take the 10 steps. They might not see that as a problem. So you want to start with the, the sometimes with the problem that, that really hurts them and then also that you can solve quickly. It's just like anything we do with marketing we do the 10 times or we do the, uh, we do something that it gets the 10 time results. Sometimes we do the little things that, oh, it's not going to make a, a, a 10 times result today, but you know, it helps us in the process. And that's the same thing that you want to do with the customer when you're writing that uh, piece of content. You might want to focus on something that, you know, not won't be a big difference to them, but it does help them and they see and then move on from there.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point. I don't know if you can share this kind of stuff. Uh, you might you might not want to mention the name of, of the clients or, uh, in terms of like confidentiality, but I wonder if you have any example of, of a particular campaign that you've done using this methodology and how, and how it went.
2: Uh, so I've worked with a client to really understand the customer um uh we did not only uh just collecting Facebook information uh we collected uh, phone call information and we actually implemented what I'm saying with you know watching the customer in their environment and that did wonders like <laughs> when we started to write the content it it just that got, that made such a difference. It's like oh. We should have been did this, but we don't do it because it takes time. It takes resources. That's not the blog post you can write today and get up tomorrow. This is maybe a, a month or two, depending on uh, the, the team you have. And but it will this will get you 10x results in the end. So you just have to continue to balance what you can do now, what you can do later and and focus. But that was for them. It made all the difference in the world to um, go through a process like that, so they can be like, okay, we're not just listening to our customers tell us what their pain points are. We're actually seeing what they're doing um, in in their environment, so that we can be like, okay, that's not really the issue. But we can, we can, we have to, we have to convey it to them in a way that is solving the problem, uh, but that that they understand that it's solving the problem. It could be. People, people are fickle <laughs> as we learn, go through life we learn that people are fickle and we don't um, we don't know, always know what we want and we always can't convey what we want
0: can you explain can you give an example of, of, of the type of pain points that you've identified thanks to the research you've done
2: some of the pain points included customers saying they have a, a problem with the platform and sometimes it, it was just a computer issue. <laughs> uh, so like the didn't have anything to do with the software. Um, we had a customer. Um, this happened a few times. A customer um, complaining uh, about a particular uh, window screen that would pop up. But the setting, it was the, it was the company's fault because that setting will always, it was always set to default. So that's what it would happen. Uh, customers, somebody don't, somebody just had a pain point. This They didn't even have the, uh, the client software yet. And just going in and seeing what other competitors are doing. And it's like hmm, this, uh, they, they didn't know that they they didn't know that uh, taking 10 steps could be conduced to like three. They thought this just the way it was. Uh, this is the tradition. They were so focused on legacy. It was a legacy um, software. So like this people was using this software like this is a, like good 10 plus years. They didn't know that another solution existed. That could shorten their time and nobody really, you know, dared to to even think about another. So those are the type of insights you get that people are sometimes are just, some are set in their ways. Others are just dealing with it at the time. And sometimes it's, it's your fault.
0: <laughs> so from from one of these pain points, can you share the type of campaigns that you've created out of them?
2: So from there... We've gone to creating social media campaigns to just get people on the site. Some of my clients had issues with even just getting traffic from social. Uh, So just taking the verbiage and the words uh, from the customers and their pain points and the research to figure out, okay, how do we make this a social campaign? What words do we use? What pictures uh, do do we use? And then also creating not only just blog posts, but that cornerstone content that will, you know, that, that will last forever. So creating uh, eBooks, um, exactly on not just the pain point, but that what I'm saying, that overarching issue. So we're not even, they have times going from talking about their customers three and four, talking about themselves, sorry, in a, a blog post three and four times to only mentioning themselves one time in an eBook. Um, so just really get, getting to the customer and just saying, Hey, I'm, you're on my mailing list. I have you. <laughs> I know my uh, product is, is great, but let me give you something of su- such a value that I'm going to educate you and that you're not going to be inundated with me trying to give you all this information about how great my product is, but something that you can use and maybe even give to another friend or to share with other people so that they don't think it's a sales material. Because a lot of times, especially in B2B, uh, marketers share each other's stuff but it just seems like sales material <laughs> we just we just giving each other what this x company has x company has but it's not really a resource and that's what that's what I, I i just strive my clients to do be that true resource and that the and it takes some trust it takes trust that your customer will come back to you and end.
0: how did you convince uh, your client to actually go for it because it could seem to be a risky strategy
2: they was at a This particular time was at a crossroads. <laughs> so they
0: had no were, choice.
2: Yeah, they, not that they had no choice. That they were willing to do something different. They were willing to take a chance on something that had great potential, and I think that's what uh, just attracted them to say, "Hey, let, let's give this a try. We've tried all these other things. <laughs> uh, we we not seeing anything different. Let's try something that's." Uh, "Quote unquote," out of the box, and that you know could have great potential for us.
0: So yeah, this is the type of of, of activity that requires a, a specific mindset, mm-hmm. and not a lot of companies or marketers would be willing to take this risk. So how w- how would you go about trying to convince some like companies or or, or C suites that are kind of opposed to the idea of not trying to sell but being much more patient about you know capturing or like convincing people that you might be a very good solution for their problems.
2: First, um that can be just selling them on what they already say they're doing, but they're not doing. A lot of SaaS companies say, Oh yeah, we're educating. Yeah, we got this. And pointing out that they're not. <laughs> uh pointing out that they're not fulfilling their mission and values that they said for their customers. And then also showing the long term effects of that. What has this currently this process of you doing uh affected your business? Uh Is it giving you the results you want or or that you think you could do or do you think you can do better? And I think that's why I start with uh, those uh, interested clients like, hmm, this is something different. It's going to take it's going to take some time. Um, It's a new approach. I'm so used to putting my (laughs) company name and something uh, five and ten times. Um, Let's try Let's try not doing, it. and of course, you of uh, testing and, and it, just making sure that you know that that they can test this uh, against their other material.
0: How this? Uh, I'm just curious about the ebook in particular that you mentioned. What was the the title of it or, or the concept behind it?
2: Uh, the concept of this one. Let me I think. This was an analytic software, so the concept was just to again not focus on hey, you need data. Hey, you need some. you need something to A-B t- test your software. Let's get to like a real issue of which, what you need, uh, besides A-B t- testing. You just want, you want something to, uh, download depending again, we segmented this. So all of the had multiple eBooks designated for multiple people in the business. So if it was a manager, it was a different ebook for them on analytics that really talked about, Hey, you just want to be able to show that you're improving. What other, why do you need to, to show that you're improving, improving in your business? Like what, how this, how, how is this going to have effect on your business? And then there was a different ebook for the person who was actually testing, you know, you know, you, how is this going to help you do your job easier? Because you're the one actually testing this software. Um, what's you've you've been taking so many steps. Like, can we, you can do it an easier way and just getting down to those nitty gritty things so that they understand that it's not, we're not just trying to be another software in your life. (laughs) And And that's what you want to convey. You don't want to be just another tool I have to buy or I need to buy or because I hate the one I have. You don't want a customer coming to you because they hate the other <laughs> they hate the customer uh, the client, the software they have because then they're just going to find something to hate about you later on, then they're going to churn out. You want to come with value upfront with education with uh, uh come with uh information that will keep them just trusting you time and time after again. even some uh it's especially with b 2 b they'll, they'll lose a, uh, the software will be gone because an- another person came in and it changed out. But those same people, the, the people, the employees who work it still subscribe to your blog, still championing you, you and they're not even using the software anymore. So that's what you want. You want to continue love. Like they are more than just software. They are the person I need to go to when I have a problem uh, in, in, in other pain points.
0: I think it's a perfect way to, uh, to end this section of, of the episode where we talked about the start of a step by step. I think it's really cool uh, overview of what you could do differently yeah. and open your, your mind to different options and just trying to sell, even if you're under pressure. I think it makes sense to, even if your, your targets are not being met every quarter, that y- you take a different mindset uh, and try to help people uh, reach their goal and not try to, to sell too hard. Um, I'm curious, and it might be a difficult question for you, but uh, in general, it's a difficult question. If you have to 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 think about you know the next ten or twenty years, how will the internet look like?
2: I don't think we will have websites the way we have websites now. <laughs> <laughs> why so? And that's, <laughs> I think why I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I don't think. Websites are going to be what we see them and I don't know. It's strange to explain, but I just feel like something's going to change. When we log on to a website, we go to like Nike or, uh, you know, those brands it's not going to be the website we are so accustomed to. And I don't know if that's a different browser. I don't know if that's a different content. I don't see us going to www.nike.com and seeing all the stuff that we see now, is going to be a little bit different. I don't know what it is, but I just feel that way. <laughs>
0: yeah. It, when you think about it in terms of actual step, it sounds a, a bit archaic. It sounds a bit old fashioned to have to, to still do that and actually type your thoughts into something. Then it brings you somewhere else. Then you go to this website that is not personalized to you. You have to search for your own stuff. When you think about all of the steps involved, it seems like there's a lot that could be simplified, uh, which is why I think voice uh, search will, will be quite big, uh, and then personalization will be quite big. In a sense that, when you go to a website per se, it's not really a website; it's it's the personal personalized version of the website that only fits what you want, which is a little bit like you know Facebook feed at the minute, and I think that's going to create a lot of issues because, you know, on the Facebook feed. The more you like specific stuff, the more you're being fed those exact stuff, right? So it might, it might create a lot of echo chamber if we personalize stuff too much because you just get in this cycle of seeing the stuff that you're supposed to like and you don't discover anything new.
2: So basically you stay in the neighborhood you've always stayed
0: in without yeah. even
2: going out to not even really being in the world wide web. <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I think that's something that's going to be a big challenge for people. Uh, and for for, or for publishers in, in particular. So we'll see how it, that plans out. Um, from your own perspective, what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 or 20 years?
2: I think we need to learn that if we want to, if we want to continue to see growth and profit and success within our companies, we're going to really have to be focused on helping the customer as a whole and not just the pain point that we have a solution for.
0: Right. Yeah. So trying to really, to think about ourselves as not a product we're selling, but more as a brand or as a, I think you said something, slightly different as a leader. Did you say at before that, as a trusted leader or.
2: Yeah. Like a trusted advisor, but just even something grander than that. We need to, if, If I'm selling, I can be selling software, but I also know that you, you buy a a certain brand of detergent. Like, I think (laughs) it's, I think in the future, it's going to come to us really knowing almost everything about our customer, not in only our field, but in other stuff that is unrelated. So I just see that. I don't know how true it's going to be, but I think that's something that we're going to have to focus on.
0: Yeah. From from the other side of, of, of the fence, that sounds really creepy, doesn't it?
2: Oh yeah. So I'm not I'm not nor am I saying that's what I want. <laughs> I'm just I'm just I'm just being this like realistic, like if Amazon knows when I uh need new detergent, you know, maybe that'll be helpful information for a software company that's selling accounting. You never know. It's even also a a good point would be just by zip codes. So somebody sends me an email, they can uh, we can you you can you need to know what's happening in my neighborhood, whether there was a a storm or something like that. So you can suspend your email campaigns for a while because some some particular action is happening in my neighborhood and you I shouldn't be uh, burdened down with your emails. I think that (laughs) that is going to come into place
0: yeah definitely and, and and thinking of the detergent and the accounting software, there's plenty of stuff that you can take out of the quantity of detergent that you actually buy. Maybe you might be able to extrapolate the amount of the number of children you have um, right. and that right. kind of stuff right yeah so yeah, it's going to get nasty really fast, and I don't know. I, I think in the future pretty fast we're going to have charity uh, uh, and a lot of non-for-profit and also a lot of activist groups that will form around privacy. I mean, there's a lot going on already, but I think it's going to get even more rogue in a sense. I think there'll be even more people, especially from our generation that will be, and even the generation after us, that will really try to fight against all of those tactics that might be too... uh, that that might try to get too... uh, that might try to know too much about us, right?
2: Right, and and that will be the growth of something else. Maybe that's when I'll get into nonprofit work again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here you go. So if you have to pick three resources, that could be books, could be blog posts, that could be anything, uh, that you would recommend to the listeners, what would they be?
2: Right now I'm reading The Road to Recognition by Seth Price and Barry Feldman. So that's a great book. It's about personal branding, but you can basically put that to (laughs) anything in business um also post um blogs i like to frequent uh something i usually go to fast company i like to read all the different types to just get a sense of what's happening in business and not just SaaS and tech I think another one is just to do something different. Um, Sometimes I like to read about race cars. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I, I have my, I always have my outlier. There's something like last year, I mean month I was reading about like balloon making. So this month I'm really doing like race cars and just learning like engineering and stuff like that. So I always want people to do something that's like totally off the wall. So just get to find a final resource that's just totally not in your sector, it had anything to do with. Even if you don't want to learn about it, just read it anyway.
0: What's the benefit of doing that?
2: It helps with my mind, but for me personally. So I'm like learning something new. I I get I read so much about marketing, it gets bogged down. Like I'm like reading the same stuff sometimes, and I get tired. So I like to read about something new and maybe an ideal spark. Or just just to have something fresh, and and my husband and I sometimes look at like crazy shows on Netflix. it will be like off the wall. We wouldn't even, we might not even like have. He likes to look at um, like for one for example, we looked at the baking shows in um, I think it's in England. I'm not sure because it's different. British shows are different. I've noted. I've learned that. <laughs> British reality is totally different. So we're looking at the baking show, and I'm like, they're not, they're really nice. Like, they're mean, but they're like nice with it. It's not like American, like everything is vicious and yeah, we're going to kick her off the island and all oh, we're not going to like. I've noticed <laughs> that. So just bringing up that culture <laughs> is, uh, you just learning something like, oh, because you, you don't think sometimes that something else exists. And we also looked at um, the housing shows In uh, again, it's just overseas. I'm not sure. I think it's in uh, England. And how they go about—they teach you really how to build a home. They're just not going to find a home like in America. Oh, we like X, Y, and Z, and they go find it. They like building stuff from scratch. (laughs) It's like, and they're (laughs) telling you the the mechanisms about it. So I'm like, I'm really liking like overseas shows now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've. Ah, uh, you seem very passionate about that. It's, it's really cool, but it's a good advice in general to actually disconnect and, and, and read other stuff. That's why a lot of marketers and business people in general would tell you to, to read uh, fiction books instead of just marketing books or business books, because you might learn a lot of stuff from it. Your, your brain might make a lot of connections. Uh, yes. as you said, that stuff you didn't know, you didn't know. Um, so Sheila, you've been really good. How can people connect with you uh, or learn more from you?
2: Uh, feel free to find me on Twitter. That's where I'm uh, usually at. So it's at Shaila Price. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, and that's, you know, connect with me, le- learn from me, and we can I can learn from you. So looking forward to it.
0: Great. All good. Well, thank you so much once again for your time. Thank you. So thank you so much once again, and au revoir.